1: A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekewisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited, and of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns.
0: Raising capital or taking your business to the world? Investment Fix has everything you need to make it happen. This season, we're exploring the US market, the opportunities it offers, what it takes to grow a business there, and the best way to approach investors. The Investment Fix Podcast. Tune in today.
1: Oh, six Sixty they're having a concert. I haven't seen them for like two weekends.
2: Tenakotaur, this is gone by lunchtime. It's Wednesday, April 28th, a special Pink Moon edition of our podcast. My name is Toby hi hi my Annabelle Lee Matha.
1: Tenakwe, Tenakwodua.
2: Tenakwe Ben Thomas. Hello. Uh, and thank you to Jonathan Pierce who is running the show for us today. It says Jonathan, it says podcast at spin-off dot nz on a piece of paper attached to your desk. Am I meant to read that out? Uh, at all times, yeah. Podcast at the Co. nz <laughs> uh, big thanks to spin-off members uh, for making it possible You wouldn't be here today without your support We wouldn't be dead We'd, We just wouldn't be doing the podcast A um, couple of big stories in recent days Big stories We've had the health reforms announced And we've had a, the kind of rare sight of a foreign policy uh, story And the big headlines uh, We'll get on to those in a minute But there is one story That towers above all the other stories mm. this week And that is of course... Uh, the site of open warfare, bloodthirsty, vicious, untrammeled, ruthless warfare between Jacinda Ardern and Selena Gomez, Ben. This
3: is incredible. This is the greatest celebrity beef that we have seen in the 21st century so far. Selena Gomez came after our Prime Minister, the Queen of Five Million. (laughs) (laughs) She said, said, you've helped New Zealand fight COVID-19 domestically. Now we need your help globally to ensure everyone can access the vaccine. Oh! she. She did <laughs> she, not. She she, she she took the twenty four in bus mm-hmm. to Sandringham, but she got off at Trouble because <laughs> Jacinda Ardern, the most powerful woman in the world, copyright mm. Madeline Chapman, mm. came back on her as as mm. News Hub, which is basically the world star hip hop of New Zealand political reporting, said mm-hmm. Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern fires back at Selena Gomez over covid 19 tweet can we get a few few bars of this in can you give me a beat toby okay jonathan can you put something over toby in the final mix oh. no keep going <laughs> New Zealand is a strong supporter of COVAX and has already contributed New Zealand's 17 million to COVAX to help fund free vaccines to 92 low-income economies. Oh, coming with fire, <laughs> Selena later Gomez! <laughs> Selena Goner mez <laughs> It beautiful. Okay, no, there's more. There's more. And recently, we announced that New Zealand will donate enough COVID nineteen vaccines for more than eight hundred thousand people to Covax for the distribution to developing nations with a focus on the Pacific. Whoa! <laughs>
2: this <is gangster.
3: laughs> Shim just takes Selena Gomez back to school. She took her back to Spring Breakers. Jacinda Arden jumping up and down on the mattress, going, "Look at my shit, motherfucker." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Okay, finally (laughs) (laughs) New Zealand is committed To equitable access To safe and effective vaccines Globally Globally. Globally. Calling it, calling it Ashley Bloomfield is having a 1pm press conference Because we have a new COVID fatality It's up by one child star It's over She's already dead Stop recording
1: (laughs) There's nothing else we can add to. I I feel like we we should just sign off now because that was just gold. Yeah,
2: I mean, the uh, so serious is the damage that has been wrought that Andrew Little had to announce a massive overhaul of the health system to deal (laughs) with the corpse of um, to deal with the corpse. The, The 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 health reform. I don't know. I don't. I feel. I feel like everything else now seems trivial after we've covered off that major issue, Annabelle. But no. there was, it's true, to be said, that there was a health reform announced in recent days by Andrew Little.
1: I heard about that.
2: heard of it was that there are currently 20 DHBs. There was a big mm-hmm. review conducted by Heather Simpson in which she said we should have fewer DHBs. I think she said eight. Six to eight or six, something. It six, was A 16. strange number. Fewer, fewer than the current number. And Andrew Little liked that idea so much He went even further and now there are going to be no DHBs at all. They're all going to be gone. There's going to be a single health agency, Health New Zealand, I think they're calling it provisionally, like a national health service, and a Māori health authority, Mm. although with some real teeth, it seems like, um, as opposed to being a kind of little nice to have on the side thing. What did you make of it all?
1: Well... I think, you know, all of us on this podcast have been critical of the government at times that they haven't been audacious enough in their leadership, so it's nice to see them doing something big and bold. Um, I think it would have been helpful if some numbers had been thrown around um, to show that there's going to be some serious investment in health, which obviously we haven't invested enough in. Mm.
2: Um, the budget's I think, going to be interesting, isn't it, to see whether there's some, some proper cash yeah, being thrown at it.
1: There's been, you know, criticism that it lacks detail, but as Little has said, in terms of the Māori Health Authority, it's, be, it's being co-designed, and, um, and that process is still underway, which I think is a, a reasonable response. I think that, um, I mean, it's exciting to think that... Um, Māori might have a bit of Tiratanga over their health. I'm interested to see, I mean, you can see how it's going to work in terms of primary health care. I'm interested to see what happens in terms of things like Pharmac and um, what happens when you end up being admitted to hospital and those sorts of things, mm. but interesting
2: times. There was, uh, it was one of those, the response was... Quite overwhelmingly positive, there were certainly some some, some detractors, um, but more positive than I might have than I expected, and a lot of it been a lot of the commentary ended with as Hannibal hinted, but the devil is in the detail or that rema-, you know there is there is a lot of that remains to be seen the devil is in the detail, Ben Thomas. Yeah, and any time you're talking about a
3: reform as big as shaking up the entire health sector, obviously there's lots of scope for things to go wrong. On the other hand, the direction of travel is good. Um, The idea with DHBs and their forerunners was that uh, you had local control. You, you were responsive to the community. You love local democracy. E- even going as far, yeah, in, under the Helen Clark government as you know, where DHBs themselves were sort of established, mm. having democratically elected boards. Mm. Now anyone who's voted in DHB elections knows that's just a complete sham. You get a wall of, you know indistinguishable names, you vote for a couple who have doctor next to them, you rank the one person you've heard of last out of 30 using the nerd STV voting system, and and over the years, you know, since those were established 20 years ago or so, more and more power has been taken away from those elected members so that now they're not even a majority on the DHB board itself and the idea of splitting it into regions which uh, we, you know all of these little contestable 20 different boards that came from the the national government earlier and the idea there was in keeping with the 90s national sort of ideology that all of these DHBs would be ruthlessly honed <laughs> by fierce competition. Good ideas mm-hmm. would be exported from one district health board across the country. What we heard from the minister during his announcement was that instead, what we seem to have is sort of pockets of dysfunction <laughs> that can't be reached by best practice uh, because of this lack of centralisation. It leads to a lot of duplication in terms of things like um, you know services procurement, planning, asset management. So a, a very good step. Um, th- there are a few things that can be improved. By centralising them with central government, district health boards are one, and local government is another.
1: The question of regional, well, um, community representation is an interesting one because, like you say, you know, the voting papers turn up, and there's some pretty random people looking. Uh, You know who who are on there and don't appear to be well qualified. But then having said that you get people like Jacoby Pauline in the Hawke's Bay who took a really principled approach over the Oranga Tamariki issue of uplifting um, newborn babies from the maternity suite so how you strike the balance between making sure that the community does have a voice about the issues that matter to them I wonder in part whether
2: whether the in the slipstream of the COVID response, where people saw the Ministry of Health, which is not the same thing as Health New Zealand as a National Health Service, but uh, is a sort of mostly centralised response responding quite quickly and effectively, made this more palatable as an idea because it does still leave the threat that you both touched on of a kind of centralised Wellington mm. at worst bureaucracy who may or may not be in touch with the realities of mm. health provision in corners of the country that aren't immediately in their sightline. Mm. But, you know,
3: in the same way that we don't need a Starship hospital in every city in New Zealand, and certainly not in every town in New Zealand, because sick children, you know, are <laughs> uplifted and taken to Starship in Auckland, we don't need replication of services across the country, Um you know, you, you can have, you know, whatever what, what you might call them, centres of excellence in different hospitals. Um you know New Zealand is a small country, and we don't need to have this this sort of level of redundancy, which also means that if you're not in one of the areas that you know has specialist services, you're really are on the outer, which is what they call you know the postcode lottery. Mm. This shows up in a lot of cases um, mental health is one that used to get a lot of uh, coverage. Jess McKellen um, wrote about how you know, very long waits, you know, for a psychological or psychiatric treatment, um would basically be reset to zero if you moved into a new district health board area. Now, if you're in Wellington, if you have serious mental health issues, you're you're probably going to be moving around quite a lot. Most people in Auckland are moving around quite a lot. Um, And, you know, going over the road or going a suburb away could mean that you put the counter back to zero. So having these things more centralised
2: actually makes a lot of sense. I mean, on that particular point of mental health, though, we... Um, it seems to me that the devil will be in the detail and um, that the you know the, the initial proposal, proposal, there's one page on mental health, so maybe it offers an opportunity to kind of reorganise it in a way that works, but
3: I mean, it probably only needs to be one sentence which is a... spend some of that $1.9 billion mm-hmm. which has been sitting in a 12-month term deposit in David Clark's name or whatever the fuck they've been doing with it because they haven't been spending any of it on mental health services
2: or treatment. Um, the National Party response is interesting and Initially, Shane Reti came out in opposition to the establishment of the Māori Health Authority, mm-hmm. and his, the language he used was about a, a, a two-tier system and fragmented. But then, this morning, Judith Collins has upped the ante quite considerably. There was a press release that came out which used the word segregation in various forms three times, mm-hmm. and she oh, also described it as there? described it as separatist, which mm-hmm. is another. I mean, you know, n- n- you know.
1: I mean, the reality is is that we already do have two different healthcare systems. There's one for rich people who can afford to have private health care and one for the rest of the country. Riti's argument is one of semantics, which is it's about need, which is agreed, but the reality is, is that the most in need are Māori. So it's just, you know, typical kind of... I'm not surprised by it. It's just National Party politics.
3: I, I, I'm furious about it. I've defended Judith Collins a lot over the years. I've been a big fan. um, And I just can't believe that this is what they're stooping to now. Um, Just a bit of, you know, speaking of semantics, just to get our terms sort of straight, um, dog whistling is saying uh, healthcare should be based on need, not race. Mm. You know, that's a bland sort of statement that no sensible person could Mm. disagree with. Mm. Uh, Saying that having an organisation that tries to lift Maori health outcomes is segregationist is just straight out race baiting. Uh, It's, you know, I think the thing that some people in National don't remember when they think back to the good old days of Don Brash and the 25% polling boost or whatever, is that Don Brash didn't win the election. And Don Brash got dumped shortly after he lost the election because it was clear that with Don Brash as leader, they would never win an election because they would never get centre voters. Um, And you know, maybe the strategy here is to try and crowd out, act on the right flank, consolidate the vote, start looking like a contender again. Um, but there's no way forward for Judith Collins to win an election this way yep. and form a government. And she... and. and and she won't get a third
2: chance. So I, I'm really confused what, about what, what's going it's on. It's okay, it?
1: apparently they're lining Selena up to replace her, so. <coughs> <laughs> is, it, is, it,
2: is it reading the comments too much? Is that what it is? Or is it, I mean, it struck me when I saw that, I thought, I just, it's this is the kind of thing you feel like John Key or the office of John Key would have just struck several lines of deep, vivid marker through those sort K- of ideas. Key
3: wouldn't have gone anywhere near it. When Key became leader after Don Brash, he started off with a series of speeches about child poverty. He did not go into race baiting, into talking about segregation or apartheid or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, the, and it's interesting. I, I, I think in New Zealand politics, because, since Ardie, you know, because mm. of the sort of tradition of Winston Peters going up in the poll when he race baits, and then the was stands out as the sort of signal example. I think since then there's always been this kind of glass case around Parliament which says, you know, <laughs> in case of electoral emergency, <laughs> break glass and, you know, use the race card. And I, I, I think its effectiveness has been... Overestimated mm. uh, by people who remember that brief sugar rush had, mm. that Don Brash got. It is something that Labor flirted with in opposition. Phil Goff actually did a, a, a sort of one law for all speech very early on in his time as it uh, was also
2: as a as Chinese sounding leader. names moment.
3: <laughs> then there was the Chinese sounding names, uh, which is slightly different because it's based on immigration rather than um, indigenous peoples. But you know, it's something that oppositions will often sort of veer towards before thinking a bit better of it Collins has played chicken with a bad idea and she's smashed right into it um, and whatever the immediate consequences uh, the the outlook for the next two years for going down that path is not good
1: is this because do you think she's saying it because of because she's under pressure in terms of her leadership with the threat of Luxton and
3: that, that's that's the only thing that I can think of. Um, she is a smart enough politician to know that there is no basis for what she's saying, saying that, um, <laughs> saying that ta- targeting Mori healthcare is some kind of separatism or outside the bound. Healthcare is targeting. Right? We screen people of different ages for different conditions and cancers because it would be a waste of money to screen the entire population. We identify risk factors. When you go to a doctor (laughs) and present with pains in a certain area and then they send you off for an x ray, that's just that's just them guessing based on characteristics that you share with other people who might have that condition, right all of this is actually algorithmic <laughs> it's, so a bit, f- it's a
1: bit like saying cervical screening discriminates against men
3: well i I, I think even more so it's like saying that um you know prostate exam you know prostate exams for, what, for the over, over
2: 55 or over whatever, 55s it is or whatever it is mm-hmm.
3: uh, discriminates mm-hmm. against 20 year old the
2: youngsters. Men. Well
3: I mean in, in a uh, way group, it does because well, they the, get a different treatment I mean,
2: but I mean what but you're, what you're looking at is identifying risk factors what you're describing sounds quite a lot like something called the social investment approach which, yeah, exactly. which you know which of yeah. course we talked about John Keeber. that was Bill English's sort of you know big passion in politics and again it did cross my mind I wonder what Bill English would would make of this you know, segregation.
3: <laughs> it, 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 it's just, it's incoherent. It's nonsensical. This is why Brash failed with it because there's actually nothing behind it and it will fail for Collins as well and we can only hope that she, she just like with her, her brush with being a devout and open, proselytizing Christian last year during the campaign, she wakes up next week
2: and just sort of acts like it never happened or it was a bad dream. Um, briefly before we move on from that, it's sort of a stark focus, particularly given there's some really interesting and seems to me constructive work that is happening from two MPs particular, Erica Stanford and Nicola Willis, Stanford on migrants in New Zealand and the realities they face in terms of what it seems very often an inconsistent, incoherent and unfair uh, rules. And then Nicola Willis is looking at in terms of the motel Usage as this proxy for emergency housing and the reality of the living conditions in, in those circumstances, and they're, they're tricky ones because they absolutely do not demand very easy headlines. But it's 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 important and real opposition work.
3: Yeah, that's right. The national has done best by just being a boring, normal opposition, pulling on the loose threads of the government's program, finding the inevitable. Problems, You know, the government is dealing with a lot of complex issues right now, and there will be mistakes and there will be problems. And then you can make an argument that there are more than there should be. You know, it, it, Nicola Willis... Well, <laughs> Nicola Willis actually got... <laughs> I think quite unfairly attacked by Martima Davidson when she first raised issues with sort of concentrations of vulnerable people in emergency housing. And Martima Davidson came out yesterday and said, oh, actually, actually, maybe these places are not a great environment for kids to be in. and for, And they are causing some some spillover effects, which which is... Inevitable when you concentrate a lot of people with high and complex needs together, which particularly, you know, former rough sleepers are, people with mental health issues, people with addiction issues, um, and again, yeah, it doesn't demand, it, it doesn't, it, it's not amenable to easy answers. But for a long time, the government seemed basically completely unaware that there was even a problem.
0: skinny are helping you show how smart you are with the one q quiz an all-new super challenging and super quick daily quiz built by the spin-off every monday skinny are giving you the chance to prove you're smart with the skinny extra credit question get it right and you'll get the chance to score yourself some skinny extra mobile credit so you can text call or even video call your group chat and gloat about how big your brain is t's and c's apply
2: The other big story of the week was Nanaya Mahuta, the Foreign Minister, and her response to China or New Zealand's position on China, which is one that is under some tension and scrutiny as under Xi Jinping, China becomes, in the words of Nanaya Mahuta, uh, more assertive and punitive in the region. Mahuta gave a speech to the China Council um, and that was the thrust of the speech which was framed around the tanifa and the dragon. Or uh Hetanifa hitipu, and um, which I thought was a new thing, but um, as Annabel was going to tell me in a second, wasn't a new thing. Um, a new framing, although it might make a fantastic children's book or five hundred million dollar Amazon TV show. Yeah. Um, that was the thrust of the speech. But then, in some questions subsequently, in response to a question from the spin-offs, Justin Giovanetti, in fact, um, Mahuta answered a slightly different question and repudiated suggestions. That New Zealand was somehow stepping away from the five eyes Alliance, uh, which is of course primarily a security and intelligence alliance, and was somehow uh, betraying the its its allies in that group. She made it clear that New Zealand had independent foreign policy, became a little bit of a muddle. There was a lot of quite bilious commentary in the UK and Australia suggesting that the the woke Ardern administration had abandoned its Western allies and was allowing China to get away with things. Annabelle, the Mahuta Doctrine, if there is such a thing, she's still relatively early into her term as Foreign Minister, is predicated, as she's made clear in a couple of speeches now, um, very much uh, on Māori tanga, on Manaki tanga and treaty values part of the tension comes up of course in relation to the the indigenous people of Xinjiang and the the Uyghurs, and the extent to which she she is willing to challenge China on those human rights questions some of which she articulated in that speech how do you rank her performance so far
1: i think she's done a good job and i think that you know the, the reference to Tanifa and Dragon that was actually something that Peter Sharples used back in, in 2013 and mm. I think that you know um, countries like China would, you know, understand a culturally nuanced response like that and there is value that she brings to the table in terms of how you communicate and and negotiate with with people of colour. I think in the UK they've described us as selling our souls to China and and there is absolutely an element of truth in that we have because basically our economy is completely geared up around... um, Dairy, and they're the ones who want it i I have to say um, without a doubt there's obviously huge concerns about human rights abuses in China having said that um, you know Australia and the UK and the US aren't exactly shining bastions of of, um, of 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 how you treat people I mean look at the indigenous experience in Australia where they still have worse outcomes in every Barrel you look in um, the way people are being treated on Manus Island, Christmas Island obviously it's not the same scale of what's happening to the Uyghurs and so on but it's still appalling Um, the UK huge producers of weapons, the US, I mean we all know what's going on in the US so I think they've got a little bit of a, a cheek to be calling us out over that but the other thing too is actually those guys have completely neglected their relationships with the Pacific. And as a result, we're seeing more and more of the Chinese influence because when the Chinese put money into the Pacific, Mm. it comes with seemingly no strings attached, but it's not that kind of paternalistic colonial approach to investment that New Zealand used to love to do. And, And so as a result, you know, they're now worried. China's growing influence all of that going on but I mean they need to pony up like put some poot there where your mouth is and the same with New Zealand when Brexit happened they should have been the UK should have been negotiating a free trade deal with us so they can't not put their they can't not pony up and then complain when we're taking care of the relationship with our major trade partner
3: Yeah and I think that there is a difference in kind between China and any of the the Five Eyes uh, countries, um, which is that they are a totalitarian state, <laughs> um, which is you know that's that's a difference. I think, um, unfortunately, yeah, as as you say, they're our major trading partner. Um, New Zealand, New Zealand's foreign policy really has to be kind of uh, basically hiding under covers while giants fight really, in terms of the Mm. geostrategic jostling between the United States and China. Um, You know, Nanaia Mahuta is right. Five Eyes is an intelligence-sharing arrangement. That's all it is. It's not NATO. It's not not, not not NATO. It's it's not a federation of of democracies. It's five countries with broadly similar strategic interests. Spying um, on your ship. So it's just, yeah, that's right. Sharing, sharing your email. sharing intel, and we, and we get lots and lots of uh, intel. Yeah, and, ex- no, and everyone likes to know secrets. I <laughs> um, love secrets. And, and in exchange for that, we can we can we can spy more effectively on the Pacific than uh, than our than our partners can. But it doesn't tie us in trade. I mean, if it tied us in trade, we wouldn't have tariffs on our aluminium in the United mm. States, right? Mm. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit too much for these countries to expect re- re- reciprocity on our end only exactly, as a result of uh, exactly. <laughs> the alliances. cheek of
1: Australia. I mean, look at what's happening with our 501s, and then they basically accuse us of being disloyal by not... And sucking up to I mean, the look,
3: And in, in Anaya Mahuta's defence, China is not new at the human rights abuses game, uh, and it it it's never really brought up that directly. You know, Helen Clark would always say, "Oh no, we strongly
2: addressed it in my private meeting." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um,
3: but but it, it
2: does. I think it does become a little bit. Russell sharper. Russell,
3: Russell uh, Norman never got his flag back. I mean, there's just been a succession of indignities for the New Zealand policy. Jerry
2: never got his pandas. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, what about that? I mean, to be fair to, to you know, the Australian foreign minister when they met didn't condemn. She was quite diplom- diplomatic about it and said that you know the New Zealand and Australia were very much on the same page. Um, the, I guess the question really for New Zealand's foreign policy more broadly is that it is a bit of a high wire act to try and, as you say, to mix a metaphor, Ben, to keep your head down behind the rock while the, 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 the salvos go back and forth. But at some point, is New Zealand going to have to take a side? And that's the, the pressure. The pressure is on about whether or not that's sustainable. And the other thing that mostly went unremarked, and again is not totally new, but Nanaia Mahuta did say in that very speech, that New Zealand businesses, New Zealand exporters needed to make sure all their eggs weren't in one basket. So it's it's a real thing, right, That, Mm. that at some point we can't have that level of trade dependence on one country that is, again, to repeat her words, becoming more, and we know what it means, assertive in the region.
1: We just can't afford to because it's screwing our environment. Dairy is screwing our environment, and ultimately it's taxpayers that have to clean up the water and all of that stuff, so yeah.
2: Did you want to address the other Nanaia project, Ben Thomas, which is the review the of local government? The abolition of local Your government. Passion. Your other passion. the, the Her legacy project,
3: um, which is a review into local government, and during her speech she said, some people might ask if local government isn't responsible for three waters, and isn't responsible for resource consenting, what is it for? And Temporarily, I allowed myself to dream that she was about to say she was putting a kibosh on the whole thing. Mm. Um, but instead it was just a review. Um, and I am hopeful that the reviewers will sort of come up with a, a list of busy work for local cranks to get onto, you know, uh, library redecorations, uh, annual fishing competitions, uh, maybe, uh, a parade, maybe a parade. Lovely parade. Town... town pet beauty contest? Maybe she'll uh, be
1: like Andrew Little. Maybe the, the, the review will happen yeah. and the findings will be, look, we should only have like eight councils yeah. and then Nanaya will be like, nah. Just say too we'll many. just have none. Yeah. And then a big fat Māori council on the side. The yeah.
3: Department of Parks and Surge. That is actually one interesting thing is that uh, bo- both of those announcements talked about you know co-design with uh, Māori. Um, the, the this is the health one and the local government one. On the the web page where they were talking about the review, the review set out very clearly um, how it would proceed, sort of based on the cabinet circular about um, you know titidity consistent policy design, which is a, a circular that went around a couple of years ago, I think, to to all departments and ministers, uh, and gets adhered to it to varying degrees i think <laughs> depending on who's doing it um, but mahuta has has set out very clear principles for engaging with the treaty partner on the the design um, she's really i I think uh, three waters was a similar one where I think she's sitting in uh, she's setting a very high standard for consultation you know, what we used to call consultation but is actually veering into co-design uh, with the treaty partner and two of the four principles for the review were about the treaty relationship uh, because in the, in the past I think people have sort of focused I think a bit too much on this sort of, you know, do we want multi wards, do we not want Māori wards, I mean Adding extra useless elected officials to the current useless elected officials on councils isn't going to change much. Um, What really changes is the engagement at every level with, you know, groups who are sort of intrinsically linked to the natural resources in the surrounding area. Um, And hopefully we'll see some movement on that for co-designing the pet beauty contest and parade. I'd like that to is the only thing local that. government
2: <laughs> is left to do. I'm the ju- be judged by Selena Gomez if everything
1: mm.
2: works out its planned. I mean,
1: Selena's been through a lot. <laughs> <laughs> she still loves Justin. It is Justin, AB, eh, but you know, like there's a lot.
3: Sleeping with the fishes, Gomez, after Jacinda's finished with her. This has gone by lunchtime.
1: For lover. I'm Madeline Chapman, editor at The Spin-Off. If you have the means, consider supporting our high-quality journalism by becoming a Spin-Off member. Sign up now at thespinoff.co.nz donate.
0: Kia ora e te iwi, here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off.